This is an RNZ podcast. I tell you what, it is so good to see people out and about, people coming out of the gyms, people walking to work. Even having all of the colleagues back in the office has just lifted everybody's mood because, honestly, the last two and a half weeks sucked, didn't they? That was News Talk ZB's Heather Duplessy-Allen with the not especially controversial view that COVID lockdowns are a bit of a drag. And she and 1.5 million other Aucklanders were pretty happy to be out of this latest one last Monday and back to level two again like the rest of the country. Or is it level 2.5? Anyhow, on Monday, Heather Duplessy-Allen was giving the thumbs up to the woman at the top, quite literally, in fact, in the video version of her on-air editorial that day, which was headlined, Thank You, Prime Minister. Credits to the Prime Minister for the brave call to take Auckland to level two today. I don't imagine that this was an easy decision at all. I think this is a really big risk, actually, for her to take politically. And one risk is the renewed criticism of hosts on News Talk ZB who change their tune almost daily, switching positions on crucial COVID management issues. On Wednesday last week, for example, Heather Duplessy-Allen had a very different attitude to the Prime Minister and her decision-making. I actually don't believe a word of what she and her government say about how they're going to do their COVID response. I now do not trust them to keep COVID out of this country. But when she praised the Prime Minister for lifting that lockdown last Monday, just four days later, Heather Duplessy-Allen reckoned the Prime Minister didn't necessarily have a lot of choice. The public mood is changing and the tolerance, especially when you compare it, as I said earlier, to what happened with the last time we came out of Level 3 and into Level 2, It's not the same scenario at all. The public mood is changing and tolerance for the second lockdown and the prospect of future lockdowns is dropping right off a cliff. Coincidentally, just the day after Heather Duplessy-Allen said that Auckland's growing resistance to lockdown had forced the issue, ZB's sister paper, the New Zealand Herald, headlined an opinion poll which it had commissioned and the headline was pretty dramatic. A city divided. Lockdown views split the nation. And the story below that began like this. Auckland is strongly divided over whether extending the lockdown was an appropriate response to the resurgence of COVID-19. But the exclusive new poll shows the rest of the country was far more accepting of the super city being kept in alert level three for almost three weeks. Far more accepting? Well, the polling company Kantar surveyed 1,000 people eligible to vote in next month's election between August the 26th and the 30th. And the difference between those inside and outside Auckland was a mere 5% on that question of whether extending the lockdown was an appropriate response. 61% of those outside Auckland reckoned the government's move to extend Auckland's lockdown by four days was the right move. Among those in Auckland, it was only slightly less popular. 56% agreed. Furthermore, the same proportion of people polled in Auckland and elsewhere, 19%, reckoned that the lockdown should actually have lasted even longer. And even if you take geography out of it, the results, broken down by age, gender and income, were remarkably similar. And tellingly, only 3% of those polled were don't knows, so this is clearly something that people had pretty firm views on. And as for strongly divided Aucklanders... Well, based on this poll, Aucklanders could only said to be divided or out of step with people elsewhere in the sense that the opinion was not completely unanimous. And when the University of Auckland statistics professor Thomas Lumley looked at the survey and at the Herald's report last Tuesday, his conclusion was this. No, that's really not what the poll says. And on Wednesday, the Herald itself acknowledged that with a clarification which said... The Herald accepts that there was strong support for the lockdown and its extension, both in Auckland and in the rest of the country. 
However, on News Talk ZB on Monday, that wasn't something that Heather Duplessy Allen seemed to accept as far as Aucklanders were concerned. As we heard earlier, she told her listeners that crowds at beaches, religious services and skate parks showed that Aucklanders weren't on board with the lockdown this time round. And it wasn't just anecdotal evidence of illicit skating, swimming and singing in church that convinced Heather Duplessy Allen of this. And there is at least one survey out now backing that up, with Aucklanders reporting less compliance by themselves with the rules. Now that survey, Heather Duplessy Allen referred to there, was another one highlighted by the Herald. On the Wednesday before, the 26th of August, right in the middle of Auckland's second lockdown, the headline on the front page of the paper was this. Team of five million, we're over it. The sense of community felt during the first lockdown in March appears to have dissipated among growing frustration and despair, the Herald said, citing new nationwide research. And that's a bit of a surprise as previous opinion polls, like the one in the Herald this week, showed most people backed the second lockdown even if they didn't like it when asked by pollsters. But this survey reported by the Herald wasn't based on asking New Zealanders anything, but analysing what they themselves have been posting and sharing on social media. Business consultancy Rutherford had analysed more than 400,000 posts on Facebook, Twitter, Reddit and Instagram in the previous two weeks to get, in its words, a snapshot of how Kiwis felt, and they then compared that to stuff that had been posted during the first Level 4 lockdown, which was nationwide. Rutherford found that only half as many people were encouraging others to comply with lockdown rules this time round by sharing messages such as hashtag stay home, save lives. Rutherford also found the volume of social media conversation about COVID-19 had increased, but negative sentiment was up 10%, and it said that the comment was now more intense and at times more toxic, as people vented frustration at further restrictions. And Rutherford even put some numbers on it. There had been a 7% increase in sadness and an 8% drop in optimism. And it wasn't the first time that Rutherford had drawn these conclusions from sampling our social media screeds. In the middle of last month, online subscription news service Business Desk reported this. Real-time analysis of social media postings by business consultancy firm Rutherford suggests a more febrile public mood than when the country started its first lockdown. Now at that point, Rutherford found greater anxiety about the spread of the virus and the possibility of a second Level 4 lockdown, whereas there had been much more optimistic and confident conversations online during the first lockdown between March the 23rd and June the 8th. And one of the reasons for all that was the news media. Rutherford's mid-August report found debate about the government's response in relation to the election and mixed commentary about Jacinda Ardern's leadership was a hot topic on social media. And Greg Franco, the head of Insights at Rutherford, told Business Desk this. The debate is much more raging this time around whether or not the government has made the right choice. Two weeks later, Rutherford's research, reported by the Herald last week, concluded that press coverage of the government's response to the pandemic and politics provoked the most conversation, and it reckoned 58% of online conversation consisted of heated debate about news stories. And in its full report, it even had some advice for the media, along with the rest of business. For example, they should acknowledge the pressure consumers face and be seen to be compassionate and supportive wherever possible and avoid being opportunistic. And then Rutherford said this. Both businesses and the media may need to remain neutral during a period of high stress and avoid inflaming the debate. Businesses and the media have a responsibility to reinvigorate a sense of community and encourage the nation to unite, particularly at the moment when the government and political parties are unable to do so.
Now, the media don't like being told what to do by anyone or what their role should be in a crisis. So I asked Rutherford's Graham Ritchie why he's giving them advice based on the survey and why a business consultancy was analysing our COVID-related social media stuff in the first place. Well, the work at Rutherford we're doing are both across both corporate and government clients is really focused on helping them navigate uncertainty, you know, the uncertainty that we're all facing at the moment and how do you best chart a way forward. And social media is a really simple, actionable, real-time barometer. But, I mean, if you're relying on publicly available social media postings, I mean, for a start, you won't get social media postings from people who don't want them to be public and seen by others. So really what you're mining is... The New Zealanders who are online, which is a subset of all other New Zealanders and on social media platforms, and they're the ones who are most inclined to post and to share, maybe the ones who are a bit more uptight, a bit more concerned and projecting their anxieties out into um, social media. Yeah, I, I, I can understand your question. I think one of the things for us all to, to remember is about 75% of all New Zealanders are engaged in social media on a regular basis. The volume and the percentage of New Zealanders who who are um, using social media platforms is significant, and and from that, you know, statistically, you can draw some conclusions which are robust enough to guide and inform decisions moving forward. Yeah, interestingly, New Zealand on air this week released um, a new research called "Where Are the Audiences?" Uh, a survey they do every couple of years, and they say the generation gap between younger and older New Zealanders is less strong when it comes to social media. Um, middle-aged New Zealanders have adopted digital media in a big way, so that's uh, yeah, that's getting a, a broader and broader thing, isn't it, that, that across all age groups in society and uh, possibly other, other uh, breakdowns as well, gender, um, social background, etc. Absolutely, and look, one of the interesting positive things around the, the lockdowns that we've been um, experiencing is people's consumption and time in media has increased dramatically. A rise in social media usage, particularly in the older um, generational sets, as people have been looking for information, looking to understand, uh, looking to know um, what to do next. Well, in the survey that made the front page of the Herald last week, uh, for example, one of the findings was that there was more volume of conversation about COVID uh, in this more recent lockdown, but um, fewer people perhaps sharing certain messages that would indicate, you know, they're encouraging the whole effort um, with lockdown, hashtag stay home, save lives and so on. I mean, the Herald interpreted that as people were over it, but uh, the fact is maybe if people have been through one lockdown and they had shared all those messages and tried to be part of the community effort, maybe they just didn't repeat that the second time around, but not necessarily evidence that they're, um, they're over it or, or less supportive of the whole communal effort. I think the takeout really for business and government in particular is that people are feeling more fatigued rather than being less supportive. There's an opportunity to reinforce the importance of working together of supporting each other you know, from either an economic or a health perspective. You know, even in the second lockdown, the Ministry of Health didn't use as many of those messages, such as you know, stay home, save lives, or stay in your bubble this time around. So, but definitely less, not not so much less supportive, more just general fatigue. Yeah. So maybe less less enthusiasm, but that doesn't necessarily mean there's actual resentment or resistance to to you know the lockdowns. Yeah. But what did your analysis tell us about the influence of news media stories and commentary on public debate and public sentiment online? Because I think you found that a lot of the, you know, the engagement of people online was actually responses to sharing off and comment on news stories by, say, mainstream media news organisations. 
Absolutely. You know, social media conversation is very much the echo chamber of, of what we're seeing, reading and hearing in news coverage. And right now, people are much more anxious than previously. That's why business and government departments you know, need to be aware of this and consider the part they can play in supporting their constituents better. And does that mean they need to be more attentive, monitoring what it is the news media organisations are putting out there? What we found is that fewer positive stories about New Zealanders coming together through the lockdown period, by way of example, were published. What that tends to do is skew the conversation to some of the the other elements um, or the the other topics around controversy, whereas content that focuses perhaps more on resilience and effective coping strategies would um, foster confidence and community spirit. So it's just trying to get that balance right. I think what we also noticed is perhaps as the nation tuned into the coverage around the one o'clock bulletins, for the first time, they were quite surprised in the way the media goes about their role. For many people, you know, there's lots of conversations about how combative the discussion or um, questioning was that, you know, has, has skewed some of the conversations around the role of the media at the moment. And look, your report also last week had even a bit of advice for media and business. So, for example, uh, both businesses and the media may need to remain neutral during a period of high stress and avoid inflaming the debate. Emotions have intensified and users are likely to react in heated ways. Uh, Brands and businesses could face a backlash if they enter the debate. Now, for businesses, I get that. uh, But, I mean, the media would say, well, look, we have to allow our columnists, our commentators, uh, the licence to say things that might go against the grain. Is that really what you're telling media, that actually, for your own commercial sake, uh, you need to uh, be neutral? Well, look, clearly the media have a role as the watchdog or scrutinizer, and it's and that's a critically important role. But I think they would agree that the volume, the tone and manner of coverage can either legitimize or create doubt around certain topics. And what we found from our Rutherford's Lab study is that if recovery is important to you, your business or your audience then helping them foster greater levels of care, community, confidence is is really important. But the media might say, well, look, it's our role, A, to scrutinise, uh, even if it's it's bad for their business. But do you think it's, it's actually bad for their bottom line if they do this? Because one school of thought is that a lot of this stuff is, you know, contrarian uh, comment, which, which starts debate. It's, it's there for engagement and that engagement is a big deal for the modern digital media. The media, like all of us, are citizens of this country, so have an opportunity, um, potentially a responsibility, to ensure that there's balance in the conversation. Simply put, what we saw was, you know, 30% of the conversation was focused around um, controversy and negativity and less storylines around working together in solidarity. And that lack of balance impacts the way people feel and their ability to move forward or how they would choose to move forward. I think what we saw this time round is a move to um, more of the blame and even at times shaming um, of certain situations and, and, certain, and certain actions by different organisations and behaviour. And, and that's understandable and, and calling and holding to account is key. But in amongst that, there uh, wasn't the same uh, level of conversation around solidarity, about working together, uh, about partnership. And I think 
those are going to be some of the keys that allow us as an organ- as a country to, to move forward. Yeah, in fact, you picked out a few things that New Zealanders were engaging with in an online debate um, about the government's response. One was, you know, support for Labour and the Prime Minister's leadership, divisive Labour versus national debate. I mean, that's understandable given that we're coming up to uh, an election. Um, and another one, distrust of the government. A proportion of the conversation is angry and believes the government's failed in its response and accuses the nation's leadership of lying, fabricating the pandemic and has lost faith in both Labour and National. That's just quoting from some of your your findings about um, New Zealanders engaging in the debate online in in your latest report. Do you think the media needs to worry about this, that somehow, even if they think they're doing the right thing by the public, that actually they're feeding into destructive debate of New Zealanders online? I I don't think it doesn't need to be covered or talked about because I think it's important and it's where the storylines are running. There's a vacuum that's going to happen from our government uh, over the next coming, coming months because of the election um, and recognising that and ensuring that there's balance in the conversation. Confidence is going to be critical for this country and we have an opportunity to make sure that we all play our part um, in giving people as balanced a conversation as we can. Well, I suppose some journalists and editors would look at that finding, you know, businesses and media need to remain neutral and have a responsibility to uh, reinvigorate a sense of community, encourage the nation to unite. They might look at that and say, well, you know, sorry, but um, we've got to do our job and we think we know what it is. Um, But you think media executives might look at this and and say, actually, there could be a backlash for us. What social media does is, is it acts as that barometer. It gives us, you know, um, a sense of where patterns are shaping and what's important and what's not, and who are the organisations or institutions that could best play a role in helping solve some of these things. And it's very interesting to hear how they view the media. But in this one, this latest report that that you did, uh, one finding here, 58% of online conversation consists of heated debate taking place between users in response to news stories. Your report says press coverage of the government's response to the pandemic and politics provoke the most conversation. And this is news coverage during the period August the 11th to the 24th of this year. And it also says of 4,403 articles published about COVID-19, New Zealanders were most engaged with political news and the government's response to the pandemic. If you were a news editor or media executive, would you be really heartened that actually it's perhaps not friends and family, individual stuff picked up from corners of the internet that's being debated. It is actually news stories from legit news sources uh, here in New Zealand that are being influential. Yeah, no, look, absolutely. Again, to my point earlier, the surprise with which a number of New Zealanders probably took how the media um, play their role with government, you know, the, the level and of combativeness to try and force answers, also, the, the, the number of updates and um, continued interest has meant, you know, a lot of media organisations and individuals within those have now become first-name basis. You know, people look um, to their views, and, um, and I think that's, that's testament to the quality of, of the questioning that's happening. And more than 400,000 social media posts, I think, you'd looked at on a, on a variety of platforms – how do you go about determining the sentiment? Because in this most recent reports of yours, um, for example, uh, negative sentiment up 10%, a 7% increase in sadness, 8% drop in optimism. These are really interesting. But how do you divine that from, you know, the stuff blurted out on all these various forums? Effectively, what we do is we hoover up all the publicly available posts on social media channels, things like Facebook, Reddit, Twitter, 
different blogs, forums, and news pages. And then machine learning modeling looks at the conversational markers that suggest the topics of the conversation and, and how people are feeling as they're having those conversations. And, and what we know from our tool, it's been tested by the Pew Research Center in America for over 12 months. So we've got really high confidence in its accuracy. And that means for Rutherford's clients, it's an exceptionally reliable tool to inform some of the decisions and the directions that organizations might be thinking about moving forward to. But how, how refined is it though, Graham? Because machine learning tools, they've had problems because a lot of social media posts, if you take them literally, um, the sentiment can be the reverse. You know, so uh, like sarcasm just can't get picked up. Oh, really great response from this government. They've really kept COVID at bay, haven't they? You know, to a machine that seemed like a positive sentiment where in fact, you know, it isn't. It's the reverse. Yeah, no, absolutely. So it can start initially as a very blunt uh, tool. And then what we do is we analyze, um, we go in and we look at all the commentary, review it all and help the machine understand and filter and, and recognize the differences in tonality and sarcasm and all those things that you're talking about. So when we first started working with this tool, you know, nearly a year ago, you begin to help it develop and understand even local colloquial expressions um, uh, terminology that might only be specific for certain countries or certain areas, all those things get added in. That was Graham Ritchie, a partner at the business consultancy Rutherford, which has been analysing Kiwi's social media content during the COVID crisis and the effect news media coverage has had on that.